0: In Iran, hijabs are burning. Over the past few days, we have seen these scenes of massive crowds of women protesting in the street, marching, chanting, yelling at police, and breaking the laws around their hair.
1: Women are taking off their hijab, burning their hijab, cutting their hair, doing all these, again, small acts that have really big meaning. Others are uh, speaking out against the government, specifically yelling death to the dictator, which uh, is a reference to the Supreme Leader.
0: Miriam Berger is a foreign affairs reporter for The Post. She has been covering these protests, which started after the death of Masa Amini. Amini was a 22-year-old woman who died after she was taken into police custody for allegedly violating the country's strict dress codes.
1: It really just ignited a lot of anger in Iran that had, you know, been long simmering, and also had already been displayed in what has been weeks-long, um, smaller-scale protests by women against wearing the hijab, the um, headscarf, which is compulsory for for women there. And so this really was ignited in, in part by all these longstanding grievances, unemployment, inflation, and also what women had been doing in the streets in, in recent weeks.
0: As protests intensify, the government is cracking down. Now the question is, what happens next? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, September 22nd. Today, how the death of Masa Amini is sparking protests and putting the world's focus on Iranians' anger and frustration with their ultra-conservative leaders. So, Miriam, tell me more about what exactly sparked these protests.
1: So a 22-year-old uh, named Masa Amini from western Iran, the Kurdistan province, was in Tehran early last week. And according to reports, was detained by the so-called morality police as she was exiting the metro station, who can you know, patrol and arrest uh, women who are not uh, in compliance with Iran's very strict dress code.
0: And what is that dress code? Like, what are women supposed to be wearing in Iran?
1: So women are supposed to have their head covered, you know, completely uh, in what's generally called a hijab. There's lots of different forms and names for different um, kinds of way women can dress in compliance with these codes. But they also should have sort of long dresses, but in general, covered up. And Mm -hmm. Iran's also a really stylish place. So, you know, people do have Mm -hmm. their own ways for pushing the boundaries. Uh, so you will see a lot of people having just the, a little bit of their hair covered, though that def- technically is not in compliance with the rules. And, you know, people find their own ways to sort of still express their individuality within hmm. these very, very strict uh, rules and what, you know, how they can be in public.
0: And do we know how Massa was dressed or, or what the accusation was of how she was um, violating the, the dress code there?
1: We don't really have any details from the government or police, um, unsurprisingly. They haven't said exactly what she violated. We do have sort of CCTV cameras that show her at the police station and the so-called re-education center um, that she was sent to. And from that, she looks like she was dressed in compliance with these rules. Her father has said that, you know, she dressed the same way the week before when she was in Tehran and had no issues. And so there really is... No details and evidence that we have so far that she wasn't uh, following the rules.
0: So what we know is that Masa was arrested by this so-called morality police and that she was taken to what you described as a re-education center, which honestly to me sounds pretty scary. Um, What happened after she was
1: arrested? So there's this gap in time that we don't know specifically what happened. She was arrested. And then we have a video that shows her at the detention center. And then another one that shows her on the ground and being brought into um, an ambulance. And then she arrives at the hospital and uh, is in a coma. Um, And we don't know what really happened in between. But, you know, she came in appearing perfectly fine and and left, um, you know, being hospitalized. And the Iranian government said that she had a heart attack uh, while in police custody and that that led to her coma. Um, But rights groups say they have reason to believe that she was beaten during that period.
0: And how long was it after she was taken into police custody that she ended up um, dying?
1: Uh, So it was four days later. So she was taken September 13th um, and passed away on September 16th.
0: And and what have Iranian officials or the police said about her death or explained the fact that once she was in their custody that all of a sudden she has traumatic brain injuries?
1: So the president, uh, Ibrahim Raisi, who's very very conservative, he uh, has personally called her family, promised to investigate. Um, several officials have all promised to investigate. But there is very little trust in what that investigation will ultimately reveal. Uh, So far, the initial forensic uh, report that has been released said uh, that there was no evidence of bleeding or any head trauma that does not square with what her family has said and what others uh, have said, and that would not account for the trauma and the coma and her ultimately passing away. And while the government has said that they will investigate in state media, there's been circulating all this disinformation around her that her family has denied, such as that Mm. she had a history of fainting, that she had a brain tumor when she was younger, um, that she had bad health conditions, um, you know, epilepsy, various Mm. things. And her family has all said she was perfectly healthy um, and that there was no uh, underlying condition that in any way can explain what happened to her.
0: Wow. So, when news got out about what happened to Masa, how quickly did that spread into protests?
1: It spread you know l- later that day um they've grown pretty rapidly since, but you know, I think the impunity what many expect to be um the lack of accountability and responsibility and information even about what has happened to her, has really uh galvanized people I mean many people have experienced that in their own lives and you know, the simple act of her just riding a metro and coming to Tehran seemed to have led to her death. And, you know, there's so many questions that aren't answered. Um, and uh, and a lot of people out there have also faced uh, repression from the government and have unanswered questions. This is also being fed by a lot of other longstanding grievances. Inflation is super high. Unemployment is really high. You know, the economy is just is doing very poorly. Many people are poor. There's a lot of different reasons. One of them is the impact of Western sanctions and, you know, negotiations over the nuclear deal that would Mm. uh, see the reduction of Western sanctions have stalled once again. And so there's a lot of, of of economic grievances and sort of feelings that the government is also putting its money not where it's uh, helping people.
0: Interesting. So so this is going beyond the issue of women having to wear the hijab in Iran or or the repression of women. That there are all these other issues that affect both men and women that are getting people to come out to the streets now.
1: Uh, there are many many frustrations that people have. You know some of the main chants that you've been hearing are sort of summed up as bread, work, freedom, and women, life, freedom. And, you know, Masa Amini has really been able to become sort of a symbol of a lot of these uh, frustrations because of the impunity and brutality around her death, because she was also from Kurdistan. And, you know, that region has often been um, a place of higher unemployment and government criticism and government repression. And there's also Mm. been ongoing protests against lots of different issues in Iran um, in recent weeks and months. You know, water is also a huge issue, especially, um, you know, in Kurdistan region and some others. There's been ongoing protests also by women over um, the hijab, in July, they started imposing the restrictions even more. And so since since that tightening, there's also been this movement. Um, these are smaller scale protests, but all of this that's come before has also helped ignite what's happening now.
0: After the break, how the Iranian government is keeping word of these protests from getting out into the world. We'll be right back. I'm curious, over the last few days, what are some of the scenes that you've seen in these protests that have really stuck with you? What do do you recall?
1: So you see lots of different scenes. I mean, there's some of just people marching in the streets or standing in an area shouting, you know, for freedom, um, against the supreme leader, uh, against the hijab rules. Lots of different kind of manifestations. Then you have these scenes of of violence, of protesters who have been beaten, of police uh, storming, of fires, and then there's also you know just been a lot of videos that come up have come out of just like singular people doing brave acts Hmm, like what you know there's a one where a woman was just sitting at a roundabout without her hijab on Um, another one where another woman was just sitting cross-legged next to a police officer without her hijab. there's another video of a of an old woman just walking down the street waving her hijab you know you Mm -hmm. can see other sort of protesters and people in the background Um, and that's really powerful because that's a really dangerous act Um, it's simple and it can get you in a lot of really bad trouble So people are out there demanding a whole host of rights and changes. Some women are out there saying that they don't want the dress code anymore against the morality police, um, against having to wear the hijab. Others have, you know, vaguer shouts of just freedom. And, um, you know, also with each death that is also um, comes a funeral and comes a protest and a gathering itself. And so the names of people who have died are also being shouted. Um, And so, you know, across the country, there's both sort of very, you know, Specific, but also very shared grievances that people have. Right now, the government is also restricting the internet um, and cellular service. WhatsApp and Instagram, which are the two sort of remaining big social media platforms that have are allowed in Iran, um, have been blocked. Um, uh-huh. The Internet has been blocked or at least slowed down, and much of the country has a cellular service. Iran has a longstanding plan to sort of create its own Internet. And so when and if that happens, it would have much easier time to shut down the Internet. Um, it's, it is a hard thing to do. So there still is some access, but it's very limited um, in some places. And, you know, it's, it's intended to be able to slow down people sharing videos, sharing photos, mm-hmm. sharing news about what's happening. Wow. And if people
0: are already worried about the government there being able to act with impunity, I can imagine that not having the ability to share videos of what's actually happening there would make those concerns a lot worse. So, what are the expectations of, of what the government might start doing in coming days as as this all escalates?
1: So, the last time we saw this level of widespread protest and uh, internet restrictions was in two thousand nineteen. You know those protests were sparked by you know specific economic grievances, and like today spread um, and included many of the same problems that people are out on the streets uh, protesting against today. And during those protests, you know thousands of people were arrested. You know human rights groups say that. At least 200, 300 people have been killed. We don't have an exact number, and the government has uh, publicly said a much lower, lower figure, but we don't have an exact number because of the issues and restrictions uh, on reporting uh, there. And families who may have had someone killed during that period or arrested may have also been threatened not to tell anyone about it. And so it, it's difficult to get a full accounting given the repression in the country.
0: Miriam, I'm curious to hear more about the ultra-conservative president of Iran, Ibrahim Raisi. How has he responded to this? What has he been saying? And is he talking openly about the protests and and his reaction to them?
1: So Raisi was uh, in New York on Wednesday um, at the United Nations for the General Assembly.
0: Uh,
1: He gave a long speech in which he did not mention the protests. He did allude to them by calling out the West for having a double standard when it came to women's rights. Hmm. The Islamic Republic of Iran rejects some of the double standards of some governments vis-a-vis human rights and sees that as the most important factor, which has rendered banal the topic of human rights in the eyes of many. He then um, was supposed to have an interview with uh, Christiane Amanpour um, from CNN uh, on Wednesday evening. Today, she tweeted out that the the interview did not happen uh, because she was told that she would have to be wearing hijab if she was to interview the president. She said no. Um, you know, when she has been in Iran uh, before and she will conduct interviews um, while veiled in keeping with the rules there. But she said, this is America. I have no need to be doing that. And she uh, refused to comply. And he did then not want to do the interview.
0: So what do these protests tell us about the current state of the Iranian government and how it's relating to or in this case, really not relating to the Iranian people?
1: I think it it really emphasizes um, the deep frustrations that people have, some of which are shared and some of which are more particular to certain groups such as women, Kurdish Iranians, uh, etc. I think it shows also how important it is for these issues to be addressed, for people to be able to live good lives And, you know, right now there's um, the Biden administration and European partners and Iran have uh, are stalled in their negotiations to return to the nuclear deal. And part of that is uh, the reduction in Western sanctions, um, which many people in Iran feel would be a real game changer. You know, that said, people also feel, you know, are scared that they could then be put back on if a different, uh, you know, government came back in the U.S. uh, as Trump pulled out of the deal. Or also that if their government remains the same, there's only so much change that can happen.
0: Miriam, you know, it's interesting you mention the issue of sanctions here and how Iranians, how how regular Iranians are really suffering under these sanctions, that the the economic situation is getting worse and worse, and that is helping to fuel people going to the streets to protest. and And in some ways, I mean, like that's what the u s. wants, right? Like when we have put these these sanctions in place, in part, it is to put pressure on the Iranian government through this exact kind of scenario of of widespread dissatisfaction and anger from the Iranian people that could make it more difficult for the Iranian government to function.
1: That is the case. And that is sort of the idea of of sanctions. And in theory, the reality is that, you know, economic sanctions really impact the public, um, the everyday people, people who can't access uh, medicines who can't have education opportunities, who are facing sky-high inflation and widespread unemployment. And there can be a very big gap between what sanctions are in theory and what they are in practice. And we see that not only in Iran, but in the many other countries as well that uh, are under U.S. sanctions. Miriam, thank you so much for explaining all of this. Thank you for having me.
0: Miriam Berger is a foreign affairs reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Alana Gordon and Rennie Svarnovsky, who also mixed today's show. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was edited by Rena Flores. If you value the kinds of reporting on foreign affairs that you hear on the show, consider becoming a subscriber to The Washington Post. You can do that by going to postreports.com slash offer. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write,